Good morning. It's good to see you're all socially distancing. That's important. Well, I'm excited because we are starting a new series today, and um, it's called Life in the Spirit. And so over the next nine weeks, actually, we're going to look at a whole variety of aspects uh, regarding life in the Spirit. And, and I think that's important because we truly believe as a church that when you are living life in the Spirit, you are living life to the full, the type of life that Jesus came to provide, right? That he said he was going to give us. Um, now, at the same time, and this just really wasn't planned, it just kind of worked out this way, um, we are also now opening registration for the, our School of Kingdom Ministry. And now you can register for this class online. You just have to get the, uh, the app of our church, which is uh, available, as you see, by just texting the word APP app to that number. You can get that. And then if, once you have it, there's a t there are a series of tiles on here that just have different, d different areas. And so the middle one says register. And so you tap that. And you tap where it says School of Kingdom Ministry Registration, and it brings up a little form. And um, that's the form that you fill out. Name, email address, and phone number is really all we need. And uh, then that'll get you in the process of, of getting signed up for this. Now, we are, uh, well, first of all, if you're not familiar with our School of Kingdom Ministry, and I know there are some here that have taken it and are familiar and some who aren't, uh, I did find a short video that I'd like to play for you that just sort of gives you uh, an explanation of what it's about. And the, the speaker in this video is Putty Putman, who actually wrote the course and continues to teach it. So here's um, Putty. The vision for the School of Kingdom Ministry really is this, to offer top-notch, experiential, transformational teaching and training to the everyday believer. At the School Kingdom Ministry, we believe that if everybody gets to play, everybody should be trained. Rather than being pulled out of life for training, you're trained in the context of life. And it's for the everyday person. It's for the high school kid, it's for the retiree, it's for everybody in between. And what we've seen is that when we train everyone, the church is mobilized. And we've just seen this changes people. Lives are changed radically. Are they moving in power? Absolutely they are. But you know what? They actually get so much more than activated in the gifts of the Spirit. They come, they come to see the gospel as it really is. They come to understand the kingdom. They see who they are in Jesus. Their whole worldview changes where they're, they're just doing Christianity everywhere they go. It's just who they are. We were meant to be the people that are the temple of God. And that's what the School of Kingdom Ministry is about. It's about discovering you're the temple of God, and God is in you. He's just waiting for you to let him out. So that's an overview of what the School of Kingdom Ministry is all about. Um, we're, going, we're planning several events over the course of the next eight or nine weeks that will are some opportunities that you can get additional information. For, uh, for the school. We're going to have a luncheon that you can come to, uh, no cost, and just sit and talk to those who have taken it, who have participated in it before. Um, we're going to do a Zoom call 
for questions as well. If you are still not quite ready to physically come back to church, uh, but would still like to know a little bit more about it, we're going to uh, provide that opportunity as well. So, uh, but in the meantime, you're free to ask any one of anybody who's on staff. The whole staff has taken it, uh, and so we can help uh, explain. Uh, John, in particular, is a great resource to go to. John has been facilitating the class here. Um, really since we uh, since it began which is seven or eight years ago so he is a wealth of information in regards to what goes on at the school there is a cost involved um, he can tell you all the details about that we're pretty flexible on how that gets paid so don't let that put you off um, if you're concerned about that all right so lord i just uh, thank you for this new series that we are beginning today and i just pray that uh, that I would be fully surrendered to you, that you would just use me in this way to deliver your message of hope and uh, identity to those who are hearing this and that uh, you would open their hearts and minds to receive. So I ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it was the seventh inning of Game 7 of the 2016 World Series. All you who hate baseball are going, oh, hold, hold on, it's a short illustration. The Chicago Cubs were leading 6-3. to three. Let's put their logo up here. And uh, so they're leading 6-3, and they're bringing in a very dominant relief pitcher. Uh, his name is Aroldis Chapman. And they were just assure, sure that he was going to get the final outs and that the Cubs were actually going to win a world championship to break this long-time curse that uh, had befallen the city of Chicago and, and Cubs baseball. Well, an Indians double and a two-run homer later, and the game was tied. Uh, Cleveland had the momentum, and all of the Cubs fans all over the country, and perhaps the world, were starting to have that, okay, here's where the wheels fall off feeling that was prominent through so many of their uh, attempts at, uh, at winning over the years. There's just a despair because something always seems to happen, right? And so um, in the midst of their sorrow, providence intervenes and it starts to rain and it starts to rain really hard. So hard, in fact, that they have to actually stop the game, come and pull the tarp over the field and the players, you know, leave and go back to their dugouts and essentially just wait. Um, and so it's tied through nine innings, right? And so they're going to go into extra innings. And so uh, one of the Cubs players, right fielder Jason Hayward, kind of was getting this sense of just how dispirited all of his teammates were feeling. And so he calls them all together, and he gives them sort of this passionate remember-who-you-are speech. He reminded the Cubs players of what their identity was, that they had been the best team in baseball in terms of one loss record in that entire year. They had won two other rounds in the playoffs, and they were, uh, I think, the only team in Major League history to come back from a three games to zero standing in that last series to tie it up at three apiece and go into this final game to win. And so... He's telling them, look, this is our game to win as much as it is to lose. And so the players are invigorated by this fresh dose of truth. Their bats come alive. They rally for two runs in the top of the 10th. 
and they go on to win. Now, they could have accepted the inevitable defeat that so many of their fans were probably sitting there thinking about. But instead, fueled by the truth of who they were, they won their first World Series in 108 years. It's a long drought by any stretch of the imagination. But what I, I don't want to focus so much on the baseball part of this story, but on the words fueled by the truth of who they were. If I were to go around the room right now, or if I were to be able to ask each and every person online, and I were to ask each of you to tell me what is the truth of who you are, what would you say? Would you identify yourself by your occupation? That's what a lot of people do. Oh, I'm a plumber, I'm an accountant, I'm this, I'm that. Because we're in church, would you identify yourself by your faith? Well, I'm a Christian. Maybe you'd identify yourself by your marital status or your gender or perhaps as a mom or a grandfather. If you're not in a, in a really good place right now, would you identify yourself as a loser or a nobody or a worthless person? thing is, do any of these so-called identities, ones I've mentioned and maybe ones you could think of yourself, do any of them really get to the truth of who you are? We're going to be followers of God, of Jesus, of the Holy Spirit. Do you think it might be important to know what God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit would say about the truth of who you are? Think that would be important? I do. Well, let's find out, shall we? If you're following along in your Bible, turn to uh, turn with me to uh, the book of uh, the letter to the Galatians. We're going to start in chapter three, verse twenty-six, and we're going to go to chapter four, verse seven. So, Galatians three twenty-six to four seven, and we're going to display it here in the New Living Translation version. All right, here we go. 326. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance to his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. And that's the way it is, that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children, we were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us 
as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now, you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. So what's happening in this passage of text is that Paul's explaining the truth of your identity when you put your faith in Jesus. Okay? And the truth of your identity in, in, in looking through this is that you're a son of God, you are one with Jesus, and you are free, and you're, you're, it's about being free from this world. So let's look at each one of those things. The first thing that happens that we talk about is that the truth of your identity is that you, is that you are a son of God. Now Paul says that all who believe in Christ become sons of God. What does this really mean? It means that God's no longer our judge. Who through that, the law would condemn and imprison us. He's not a judge anymore of us. It means God is no longer our tutor. Who through the law restrains and chastises us. It means that God is now our father. Who in Christ has accepted us and forgiven us. And so because of that, there's no longer fear there. There's no longer dread of the punishment that we deserve because we love him. We're not prisoners. We're not awaiting the final execution of our sentence. We're not children under the restraint of a tutor or a teacher or a guardian, but we're sons of God and heirs of his glorious kingdom, enjoying the status and privileges of grown-up sons. Now, there's a couple of, of important things that I want to touch on in regards to that, uh, that concept or that idea of sonship. Now, the first is that sonship in God is in Christ. It's not in us, okay? The doctrine of God as a universal father was not taught by Jesus nor any of his apostles. God is indeed universal creator. He brought all things into existence. Sure, we talk about that. He's the universal king ruling and sustaining everything that he's made. But he's the father only of our Lord Jesus Christ and of those whom he adopts into his family through Jesus. So if we would be the sons of God, then we must be in Christ Jesus through faith. That's all it takes is faith. And that's what brings you in. The second thing that I want to touch on is that there are people who are put off by Paul's language of adoption because they would say that it's gender insensitive. Okay, now I use children in uh, the New Living translation, and I chose to leave that there. Um, and there are some other translations that use children of God, but if you look at the Greek, if you look at a Greek New Testament, it says sons, sons of God. Okay, people will then argue, well, but wouldn't it be better to say that we become sons and daughters of God? Well, I don't know, maybe that would be more gender inclusive if that's kind of a pet peeve of yours. But if you do that, you miss the entire point of what Paul's saying. 
See, what really helped me in particular, and, and some others that I've talked about this with, what really has helped them understand the story, uh, uh, this particular passage, is a story that I read a number of years ago about a woman who was raised in a non-Western culture. In, it was in a very traditional culture, a culture very much like the culture that Paul knew of, that he was a part of. Okay, And in this particular situation... There was only one son in this woman's family. And it was understood by the culture that he was going to receive most of the family's provisions and honor. Okay? Basically, the culture of that time just said, he's the son, you're just a girl. And that's just the way it was. Okay? But one day she was studying Paul and some of what he wrote, and I don't know if it was this passage, I don't know where else, I mean, he's, he mentions this uh, concept of adoption a number of times, but she was looking at this concept of adoption, and suddenly she realized that Paul was making an absolutely extraordinary claim. She knew that the culture that Paul was from was very much like the culture that she lived in. Women, girls, were second-rate citizens at best. But what he was doing was, he was living, or excuse me, but when Paul said, out of his own traditional culture that thought this way about women, when he said that we are all, everyone, all sons of God, he was saying there are no second-class citizens in the family of God. When you give your life to Christ and you become a Christian, a follower of Jesus, whatever you want to call it, you receive all of the benefits of a son in the traditional culture. See, as Westerners, we have a hard time understanding this because we've never been excluded like this, most of us anyway. I mean, in our culture today, there's no limit on what a woman can inherit if their parents die. And so as a result of this cultural blindness that we have, and, and frankly, we experience this all over Scripture. When we read Scripture and we look at something and we go, huh? That makes no sense to us. It's probably because you're looking at it through the lens of, our, of your own culture and you're missing the key point because it's of what it's really saying to the people that it was written to. But as a result of this cultural blindness, men and women both miss the sweetness of this welcome. We don't recognize all the beauty of God's subversive and revolutionary promise that raises everyone to the highest honor of the firstborn son. Our adoption means that we are loved just exactly like Jesus is loved by his father. We're honored like he is honored. Every one of us, no matter what, it's just like Chip said. Your circumstances cannot hinder or threaten that promise. In fact, your bad circumstances will only help you understand that promise probably better than those of us that are not in those and will help you claim the beauty of that promise. The more you live out who you are in Christ, the more you actually become like him. 
See, Paul's not promising you better life circumstances here. If you've been a Christian for longer than a couple of weeks, you probably have figured that out. But he's promising you a far better life. He's promising you a life of greatness. He's promising you a life of joy, a life of humility, a life of nobility. He's promising a life that goes on forever. That's what it means to be a son of God. To be a son of God. The second truth of your identity is that you are one with Jesus. See, putting on Christ unifies all believers in their belonging to Christ by dissolving all of the usual human discriminatory relationships. As Paul writes, between Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female. You ever wonder why he chose those three? I'm glad you asked. Those three distinctions are actually part of an ancient Jewish tradition and they are still maintained by many Jews today. And if you look at a Jewish prayer book, you will likely find it. Because the prayer book includes the traditional benediction. What does that say? It says, Blessed be thou, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has not made me a heathen, a Gentile, who has not made me a slave, who has not made me a woman. Paul was rejecting all of these distinctions, and the fact that he was doing so was revolutionary. But the thing is, becoming one with Jesus goes much deeper and much wider than just doing away with these three distinctions. And so I want you to just allow me to give you a glimpse of why understanding your identity as being one with Jesus can be so powerful and is so important to living life in the spirit. And this goes directly into something that is taught in our School of Kingdom Ministry. The, the subject of identity is so critical and it's recognized that, we, that the school spends six weeks on just this topic, really helping people to, tr to truly get a hold of what that is. So let me just give you a little bit of that teaching. So think of it this way. There's two worlds where we live. There's a, an internal world, right? And the internal world is our self-perception, thoughts, feelings, personality, our will, how we respond to other people. It's a world, the eternal world is the world that we have some control over, all right? The other world is the external world, all right? And the things, these are all things that come from outside of us. So that would be circumstances that you find yourselves in, things that people say or do to you, events at our jobs, all of those things. And these are, are the aspects of the world that you have no control over. All right? So life, if you want to think of it this way, sort of happens at the border between those two things. Right? What's going on inside and what's going on outside. And the thing is that before we become followers of Jesus, before Jesus, we become one with him, your internal world draws off your external world. So in other words, what we believe about ourselves is driven by the way that the world interacts with us. 
right? Someone tells us that we're worthless. Well, that is something that we will then potentially start to believe about ourselves. If, you know, it's a person that we truly respect, it could be, and if it happens, especially at a young age, and maybe a parent is telling that to a child. And so that external world exercises an undue influence over the internal. But when you become a follower of Jesus and when you become one with him, something truly amazing happens to that internal world. The Holy Spirit moves in and God brings new life to that internal space. It's a new way of understanding who we are, a son of God, united with our brother Jesus. Well, it's great that that happens, but the problem is that we spent our whole lives believing that who we are is determined by what's happening outside of us rather than by what's happening within us. And so part of the secret to living life in the Spirit, which, as I said, is the life that Jesus came to give us, is truly understanding who God says you are. And I mean really understanding it. I mean not just acknowledging it. Okay, well that's what that page says, I'm the son of God. Great, got it. It's not good enough. You've got to know it. Right? It's got to move that 18 or whatever inches from your head to your heart. And when that happens, then life in the spirit can take off. And when, that, when you finally can believe that, when you finally get a hold of that and truly understand it, then you never have to draw life from what's going on around you because you can draw it directly from Jesus and who he says you are. Okay? And then finally, the truth of your identity is freedom from the world. And I think Paul applies this illustration in order to show us the contrast between where you may have been and where you are now before and after believing in Jesus. And so what he says is that formerly you were in a state of spiritual immaturity, much like children, and like slaves bound to the basic principles of the world. He alludes it to slavery, I think, in order to show that before Christ came and died for our sins, people were in bondage to whatever law or religion they chose to follow. It's obvious most in, it's most obvious in the case of the Jews who were given the, you know, the law, which in some cases they, they view now that that's supposed to go on forever. They don't recognize that Jesus was the fulfillment of the law. Um, and so what that leads to, that leads to thinking that we, you and I, could be saved by our deeds, by what we do. And so... If that's the case, then you become enslaved to trying and ultimately failing to follow even the most elemental stages of religious practice. You, you can't do it. You know, it's the old story about, you know, you might, Lord, I thank you for making me so humble. Oops. I think maybe I'm not being so humble right now. The illustration of slavery demonstrates that the law apart 
from Christ's death for our sins is what keeps us in bondage. It holds us to hold us accountable to a standard that we can never hope to meet on our own. But as Paul wrote earlier in 326, it's through faith in Jesus, we who were once slaves becomes God become God's very own children. Our standard has changed from cringing slaves to treasured children. And so the question is, do you understand and truly believe that your standing has changed with your Heavenly Father? What is your relationship with Him? Are you experiencing the freedom that He wants you to have? It's a good question to ask yourself. Paul's point is that the truth of who you are has changed because of what Jesus did for you. The truth is that you're a son of God. The truth is that you're now united with Jesus and all the labels of the world no longer control you. The truth is that you are free, no longer enslaved to the task of trying to become right with God through some form of human effort. There was a young missionary couple with several children who boarded uh, an ocean liner. And they were traveling economy, as you might imagine. Um, and they were on their way to someplace in South America. And so it was evening time, they were hungry, and they were making their way to the dining room uh, for the very first evening. And when they got there, they were literally flabbergasted by what they saw, by the amount and the quality and the presentation of all the food that had been laid out on all of the serving tables all over the ship. Now they felt out of place when they saw this. And they were convinced at this point that, there's got to be, that they had to have been in the wrong place. That there has got to be an economy dining room somewhere that we just haven't found yet. And, uh, or maybe that they needed to look on the menu to see if they could even afford to eat. And so they discreetly asked the purser on board uh, about this. And their question brought both a chuckle on behalf of the purser and an explanation. He said, you folks aren't the first to be impressed by our cook, but everything you see here is for you. It's all part of the ticket when you sail with us. How many Christians still identify as someone poor looking for the economy dining room when God says, you're my son? Come sit at this table with me and enjoy the riches of my feast. You are no longer who you were. Let's pray. Father, thank God that we are no longer who we were. We just give you thanks that you have 
rescued us. That you loved us enough that we could become one of your beloved children. And all that was accomplished through what Jesus did for us on the cross. And all it takes to receive all of that is for us simply to say yes to his offer. To his offer of a gift. And so we celebrate that moment when we celebrate the sacrament of communion of the Lord's Supper. And we do so using the very same elements that our Lord used when he um, instituted this at the beginning. Bread and not wine, in our case, juice. And so now we recall that on the night that Jesus was to be betrayed, he took the bread and he gave thanks to his Father in heaven and he blessed it. And then he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, take this all of you and eat for this is my body given for you. And then he took the cup and again he gave you thanks, gave his father thanks and praise. And this cup too he gave to his disciples and he said, take this all of you and drink, for this is the cup of my blood, the blood of the new and everlasting covenant, blood that was shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of your sins. So whenever you eat of this bread or drink of this cup, do so and remember me. So Lord, we do remember you in this simple act We ask that you would come now and that you would make for all of us the bread and the juice that we hold, that they would become your body and your blood, that we would be revitalized and invigorated and refreshed by this meal. The body of Jesus given for you. and the blood of Jesus shed for you. Lord, we thank you again for this, for this sacrament and for the reminder that it provides to us each and every week as we share this meal. It reminds us of the love, of the lengths that you were willing to go so that none of your children may perish. <clears throat> Just give you all thanks and praise, all honor and glory. And we do so in Jesus' name. And I'll ask Pastor Chip to come.
Amen. What a powerful message. I really um, feel like so many of us struggle with that, truly knowing who we are. And I think Pastor Jeff summed that up in a great way. So as we have our ministry time, I'm going to ask you to do something different. Would you stand up with me? Would you stand up with me? We're going to go into a time of ministry, and if you need to go home, you can go if you don't want to experience God. No, I'm kidding. Um, but if you want ministry, please stay. Um, Pastor Jeff and John is back there, and Andre is some, there he is, and Cindy and myself. We all want to pray for you and with you. So if you need anything, this is a time to really not worry about what's going on around us not worry about who's watching us, but to come and actually get ministry. So if you feel like there's anything, we ask you just to go ahead and just find one of us, and, and we'll all kind of be in the corner. But let's just invite the Spirit of God to come one more time. Come, Holy Spirit. And I would encourage you, if you've been watching online and you say, I want to be part of this, this, this Jesus thing, I want to be a Jesus person. I want to inherit this inheritance. I want to be a son of God, but I don't feel like I can be. It's like Pastor Jeff said, you can be. All you've got to do is put your faith in him. So if you're watching this morning, you haven't done that, just pray. And you don't have to pray a magical, special, beautiful prayer. It can just be, Jesus, save me. I believe you died on that cross. I believe you rose from the dead. Save me. And as soon as you pray that prayer, you are transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And you can begin a brand new journey of life. I just also sense the Lord, if, if you've struggled with this concept of identity, we also want to pray for you for that too. Because the enemy has put things in us and on us to keep us from reaching our potential. So instead of me kind of calling out words of knowledge like I would normally do, I just sense the Spirit asking me to pray this, and it's why I had you stand. If you're saying, I really want to be who God called me to be, I really want to walk in this identity of sonship, and I want to walk in the Spirit, I'm going to ask you just to open your hands because I want to pray over you. Just get in a position where you're just ready to receive. And then after that prayer, find one of us, and we're more than glad to pray for you for anything you need. Father, we come before you, Lord. The beautiful mystery of sonship. The beautiful mystery of how such a loving God could want to adopt and embrace and pursue a creation that rebelled against him. But Lord, that's who you are. We sing it and it's true. You're a good father. So, Lord, every person who is standing, who is saying, I need a revelation of this, or there's something that's playing in my head, a voice saying, you're not good enough, you're not worthy enough, I break that right now in the name of Jesus. I bind every lie of Satan. I bind every lie of the enemy. Every generational curse in the name of Jesus right now stops. And Lord, I pray a revelation would hit them, a revelation of who you are and who they are in you. Lord, so often we reject this type of theology at first because it almost seems too good to be true. But Lord, the truth is you're so good beyond anything we can think, beyond any theological argument. So Father, every person, 
who's struggling this morning, every person who's saying, I want to be who God made me, but I don't know if I can, to every person, Lord, anoint and touch them right now. Break off anything that is detracting from their destiny, Lord, detracting from who they are in you. And Lord, as we move into this ministry time, I pray that people would seek out the prayer they need, the counsel they need, Lord. Let there be no shame in the house of God for needing prayer, Lord Jesus. Let there be no shame in being broken. Because like you said, Lord, it's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's us, the sick. And God, if any of us are walking around thinking we're the healthy, we've made an error. We've made a huge mistake. So Lord, we come to you, poor in spirit, begging for another touch, begging for more, but walking in our inheritance and walking in the spirit. We love you, Jesus. We love you. We love you. Abba Father, which literally translates to Daddy God, Papa, actually. We love you, Abba. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for watching. God bless you. If you need prayer, go ahead and find one of us. We'll be more than glad to pray for you.